0: to this week's A Photographic Life for episode two of The Conversation. Today, as last month, I'm joined by Bill Shapiro, and Bill and I are going to have a chat, a conversation. But who is Bill Shapiro? And I suppose you might want to know who I am also. Anyway, Bill Shapiro served as the editor-in-chief of Life, the legendary photo magazine, and he's the founding editor-in-chief of Life.com. Bill is also a fine art photography curator for New York galleries, a consultant to photographers and a contributing editor to the Leica Conversation series. He has written about photography for the New York Times magazine, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, Vogue and Esquire, amongst many others. Every Friday, more or less, he posts about under-the-radar photographers on his Instagram feed, where he's at Bill Shapiro. And who am I? Well, I'm Grant Scott and after 15 years art directing photography books and magazines such as Alan Tatler, I began to work as a photographer for a number of advertising and editorial clients in 2000. Alongside my photographic career, I have art-directed numerous advertising campaigns, worked as a creative director at Sotheby's, art-directed Photo 8 magazine, founded my own photographic gallery, edited professional photographer magazine, and launched my own title for photographers and filmmakers, Hungry Eye. I'm now the founder of the United Nations of Photography and a senior lecturer and subject coordinator for photography at Oxford Brookes University, Oxford, in the UK. Also a BBC radio contributor, and I'm the author of a number of books on photography. But I think that's enough about Bill and I. Let's think about this month's conversation. Each month, we continue the conversation We don't stop and start. And so this month, we'll be picking up on themes that we discussed last month. So this month, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about writing, art speak, and the importance of both to photographers. Okay, so Bill, um, welcome back to the conversation. We were chatting uh, over the last week or so about what we were gonna discuss this week. And you raised the point about writing, artists writing, photography writing, photographers writing, tell us more.
1: Well, I have um, recently judged um, a couple of photo contests and I think I looked over, you know, two, you know, more than two in all 200 submissions and 200 artist statements. And um, a lot struck me about what was good about those statements, but but even more, some of the traps that I think photographers fall into that, that doesn't really help them. And, and so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how photographers can can best communicate their, uh, their vision. Which I suppose in a way, if we'll wind
0: that back a little bit, takes us to the point which... Um, Is something I, I think a lot of photographers have a problem with or even not only doing but accepting, which is writing. That idea that today as part of your photographic practice,
1: you've got to be able to write. I mean, I think you need to be able to write. Absolutely. Or know the tools that you can utilize to get the help you need to express yourself on the page. If that's not in the written word, if that's not something that's one of your strengths, but I think that's one thing we'll talk about. And, and to this, you know, it's part of the same thing to be able to talk about your work and, and really express, in my opinion, clearly and fairly succinctly what you're after.
0: Do you know, it, I always go back to something. This is going to sound incredibly kind of Harry potter or ish, but when I went to school, um, when I went to high school, the first year of of my school was called lower grammar. And then we went, the next year was grammar. The following year was syntax. Then we went into poetry. Then we went into rhetoric. And I know that sounds incredibly kind of public schoolish. It wasn't a public school at all. It was a, a Jesuit college. But I never really understood that. But now I really understand that idea of working your way from lower grammar to grammar to syntax to poetry to rhetoric it kind of makes sense and actually I think that's kind of the the, the process that photographers have got to go through as well Because you're right. Not only have you got to uh, be able to write about your work, you've got to be able to speak about it. But interestingly enough, when I when you raised this point, I instantly turned to Bill Jay and he said this. and I thought perhaps it's a good starting point. He said the pseudo intellectual makes the error of assuming that simplicity is the opposite of profundity. And that was from the book Occam's Razor in 1992.
1: You know, what I found was, and we can get into this a little bit later, so many of the photographers used kind of highfalutin language that when it's strung together, it could be referring to almost anything. Like I saw so many of the same word choices and combinations of words. And we'll talk about specifics in a minute. That. Um, were used, you know, in documentary, uh, you know, to, to describe documentary work and also, you know, sort of high concept artwork. And you, you got to realize that when you're using words like this, trying to be profound, ultimately, it means nothing. Um, it's just it's just a bunch of word salad, you know, is my opinion. And and I, I do want to say this, I think, you know, before we get into specifics, and we talked about this a little bit in the, the last time we had the conversation, which is know your audience. If you know that the person or people who are who are going to be reading your writing are highly academic professorial types, it's possible that it's OK to write in that sort of academic uh, conceptual way. However, if if you don't know who your judges are or if some of your judges or reviewers happen to be working photo editors, or, you know, people who are sort of really in the marketplace, I don't think you want to talk to them in the same way. I think you want to be a little bit more down to earth.
0: Well, I think that's really interesting there, though, because once again, again, picking up on the last conversation, you and I both come from a background, which is not theoretical and academic. It's all about, and and. The great Harold Evans, the great um, newspaper editor of the Times, said to me once, Grant, think of the most stupid person you've ever met, and that's your most intelligent reader. And work on that basis. So we're coming from a place where to us, it's really important to make that communication accessible, to make sure that whatever it is we're trying to communicate works. And I, and I think there's a bit of a disconnect there.
1: Well, I think absolutely. And and I know, you know, because over the years I've worked with a lot of um art school trained photographers, that they will listen to that Harold Evans quote, thinking about sort of the lowest common denominator, and they will blow it off. They will say, I'm not, I'm, you know, my photographs and my writing are not for those people. And okay, fair enough. I, you know, I get that. But the but the point remains that when you use a sort of fancy pants language, Uh, and and vague academic jargon you are going to lose a lot of people
0: i love the fact you've already introduced fancy pants and highfalutin into into the conversation oh just wait (laughs) this month but i you say you understand that i don't understand that i don't understand why you would create Anything and not want to communicate with the largest possible audience. And and I know what you're saying. You're absolutely right because I hear exactly what you hear, but I still don't get it.
1: I have a theory. May I share my theory? Um, Yeah, please do. my, My theory is that photography, of course, is the most democratic of art mediums. And I think that there's a sense in some people of some insecurity because. Everybody walks around with a camera in their back pocket. Nobody walks around um, with a potter's wheel or an easel or a giant slab of marble. So everybody considers themselves to one degree or another a photographer. And I I believe, I think, that some of these people try to set themselves apart, um, give themselves some cred by speaking like a philosophy major.
0: I completely and utterly agree with you. Um, but I think what's also interesting is to explore where that actually comes from, because you know we, we we don't kind of jump out of the womb speaking like this. You know, we're we're not taught at school how to speak like this. And, and I'm going to turn back to my second quote from Bill Jay, which which was this. He said, "The idea is to say the most trite thing in such a manner." that it sounds like the deepest profundity, a technique perfected by fine art photographers who lecture at academic institutions. Now, I'm going to put my hand up. I'm not a fine art photographer. I don't really know what fine art photography means. I have to be honest about that as well. But um, I do lecture at an academic institution. But I understand what Bill was saying. I think a lot of this has come from That kind of media studies, theoretical um, kind of environment, which has fed the young photographer with the idea that this is the right thing to do. But
1: not only that, that it's the only thing to do. And I, I, I agree. And I also think that that is to some degree reinforced when they walk into a gallery and read what a curator has written on the wall, which I think we're seeing starting to see some appreciation of, uh, quote unquote, real language. But certainly in the past and and many times I walk into a museum or a gallery, I see people reading about two sentences and then walking away because it is equally impenetrable. And I think as a, as a young photographer, when you walk into an institution and you see that on the wall. Yeah, you you you're like, okay. that's what it takes to, uh, you know, that's what I should emulate. So uh, once again, nothing planned,
0: but we actually are picking up on some of those threads about curation and about the gatekeepers that we spoke about last time, because we are talking about. Um, I suppose, a set of rules or a set of expectations that are being laid down, which the young photographer, the photographer feels, well, that's the game I need to play.
1: Those are the rules of my game. I I think that's exactly right. And, you know, one thing that I noticed and, and, you know, in speaking with you just briefly, you know, before we started live on the air, I think one of the things that we've both noticed is that a lot of these artist statements, Sound almost identical in the, in their cadence, in their word choices, in the sentence structure. You know, that's something as a, as a word editor I'm trained to look at. And I think when I think photographers are encouraged to come up with a singular and unique visual voice or visual perspective. But then when they go to write about this stuff, they turn to what they've seen on the on the wall written by a curator and, and it all ends up sounding exactly the same. And I think you really defeat the uniqueness of your vision when the writing sounds like everybody else's. Well, it's interesting
0: because you're saying there about that idea of, of the work and then the writing. What I'm aware of and sort of bringing a, a bit of academic, I suppose, um experience to this is i'm aware of photographic courses in the uk maybe you are in the us as well i don't know but where the writing comes first so you have to do the writing and in doing the writing you're setting everything up and then you're going to take the photographs to match the writing so it's completely the other way around and actually courses where you didn't even need to take any photographs the writing was enough of what you would have taken photographs of if you could have taken photographs, which is a a complete kind of um, takeover of the photographic practice.
1: Wait, I have to call time out because I really don't understand that. I spend no time in academic institutions. So, so forgive me. I am the guy that Harry Evans was talking about, but um, are you saying that you don't go and take the photographs and figure that out sort of in your, in your soul and in your eye and then write about it? You're saying you write about it first and then go make the photos to fit the writing? Yeah, absolutely. This
0: is the foundation of the problem which you're seeing. One of the things I see an awful lot of, and I'll be interested to see if you've seen it as well, is when the photographer says, for example, um, this is negative, positive. This is um, personal. This is universal. So in one sentence, they'll say it's two completely different things but actually none of them make any sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do, um, I, I have an example to, that strikes me as something like that, which I'll, which I'll find in a, um, in a moment. Um, you know, the, the other thing I want to say is, just by, in terms of, you know, what we say in the States, speaking about American football, is basic blocking and tackling, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of this. And, and one of those things, and I think this is just the bare minimum, is spelling and grammar get your spelling right, get your grammar right. If you don't know that, which I, I understand because not all artists, you know, went through the seven stage program that you did with syntax and grammar and low grammar and the rest, it is so easy to find a friend who will read it for you or to find someone, you know, at any number of these freelance websites who for for fifteen dollars, you know, will read your short statement. Um, there is no excuse for misspellings. There are very few excuses for um, poor grammar. So, uh, like, I, I just want to tell people start with that. So let's see, um, you know, a few a few, you know, you, you, you mentioned the negative, positive things. A few that jump out for me are um, the word multi layered. Don't don't tell me it's multilayered. If I think it's multilayered, I will figure it out. You, you know, and, and I guess the bigger is the, the bigger thing here is your writing is not going to make me like your photographs. I'm going to like your photographs. I'm going to react to your photographs. I'm going to have an emotional or intellectual response to your photographs. And the writing may fill in or connect some of the dots for me, but it's not going to make me like it. You know, for me, say less. Be tighter, be more concrete. You know, it reminds me of the great Dieter Rams,
0: the German product designer who came up with um, the phrase less but better. I want to know where the photographs were taken. What's the name of the people? I don't want to know the camera. Um, I don't want to know your emotional state. You know, leave all of that space to me. Let me fill in the spaces. I
1: 100 percent agree with that. And don't don't spoon feed me. So so I do want to tell you that, um, you know, these are lines I pulled out from some of the hundreds and hundreds of artist statements that I read. I have changed. Some of the identifying words and concepts here, just to just to you know protect people. But I, but I also want to say that this is all done in the spirit of not criticizing the writer in this case, but helping everybody else see you know what what can be improved. Um, so this person writes: "This is my most insightful contribution of a visual abstraction to the narrative of the unbearable weight of being human in the Anthropocene." Okay, so. Uh, Being human
0: is an absolute classic academic phrase that you hear again and again. The Anthropocene is another classic academic phrase. I'm hearing that and I'm hearing two things and thinking, well, which lecturer
1: gave them those words? Uh, The thing I can't understand, maybe you can help me, is a visual abstraction to the narrative. That's like a sentence of box ticking. The other thing here, and I want to ask your opinion on this, it starts off by saying it starts off in the first person. This is my most insightful contribution. Now, forget about whether it's insightful or not. And, and I don't really care what they've done in the past or anything like that. But should people write about their in their artist statements, Should they write about themselves in the first person or the or the third person? Third person always, in my opinion. And tell tell me, tell me why.
0: Well, because I think what you're doing is you're taking it away from yourself. You're taking it away from the subjective to a certain extent. And it, it's a difficult one because, again, prior to being involved in academia, I wouldn't have known this. But I think also by putting it into the third person, it allows the person to write about it in a way which perhaps they can get a little bit of distance and objectivity
1: you know, there were quite a few of these. And one in particular that I remember that was about, uh, well, two. Uh, one was about growing up with a father who was a heroin addict. And another one is, uh, you know, uh, somebody's, I think, um, father uh, was was losing their memory to Alzheimer's. And it strikes me that to writing, writing about those in the third person would seem bizarre to say something like, You know, uh, in this series, um, Shapiro's, um, uh, you know, grandmother was losing her memory. And so he felt sad and did X, Y and Z with her, you know, with her photo albums. To me, that seems almost too distant because it is such a personal loss and expression.
0: I think it all depends on the context in which the writing is used. I think if that were in a in a book or it was within an exhibition context, you wouldn't feel that that was strange, right. because you might have a sense of the curator's hand or the gallery's hand. I think if you're talking about applying, you know, for a competition and saying this is what I did, then absolutely, you know, in the first person makes makes sense. Right. But I right. think that there's a real. The, the difficulty I have with a lot of the ones I read, because I read them, read them and don't understand it at all. And then you look at the work and you think, well, what, what, you know, there's no com- connection between these two things. As you said at the beginning, it's almost as if somebody's trying to make something seem better than it is because they're lacking the confidence in the work. I, I
1: think that's um, a terrific point. And maybe we should talk about, you know, maybe I'll read some more examples and maybe we can talk about helping people know what's context and what's, and what's blah, blah. So the, the next two lines strike me as, as blah, blah. The resulting photographs depict a world that exists everywhere and nowhere today and tomorrow. Once again, we've got everywhere and nowhere. Exactly. We've got, we've got that. <laughs> Where? <laughs> here's, here's another one. In a multi, uh, In multifaceted displays of space and light, I compose for the surreal and yet mundane.
0: Once again, it's almost like there is a formula, and I know there are you know, it's a, I think it's very difficult because, you know, I don't want in any way, and I'm sure you don't want to be condescending towards people or to be dismissive of people. I just think that the people who are writing this have been taught badly. I agree. <laughs> Well they've been taught that this is what you do. And then it comes through to people such as you or myself. And we look at it and we go, but don't do this. Because actually it doesn't mean anything. You know, I said at the beginning, I didn't know what you were going to read, but you know, that idea of it, it's this and it's two opposites bashed together. Right. And you've given me two examples of exactly that. So it's that much of a kind of a a formula.
1: Another another line that um sticks out to me, which I saw. I don't know. I probably saw it 50 times um, blurring the boundaries between. And so, you know, you know, right here is blurring The boundaries between inward and outward, dark and light, alive and dead, love and regret, memory and fantasy. Um, All those words are evocative, you know, memory, fantasy, regret. I think about that stuff all the time, but putting them all together, it's, um, you know, choose a couple. Um, because it's just, it's, it's, it's too much and being too much, it's nothing. But it just feels to me
0: like the student who hasn't, um, paid attention in class, hasn't really done the reading they should have done. And so they've got to, and I know this cause this, I'm talking about me. And then at the end things, I'm going to hand in my essay. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to chuck as much in it as possible that I know they'll want to hear and, and then that'll be okay. And I've kind of persuaded myself that this is what I'm doing. Um, and then hopefully it will work. Whereas
1: actually
0: the confident person says, these are my photographs.
1: Right. Um, so let, let me give a couple examples of things that I thought worked or or almost worked. These next photos were beautiful, but hard to make out what was going on. They were They were a little bit abstract. And the first sentence of this person's Statement was this series of photographs reveals a hidden layer of luminescence in the um, wilderness of the South Pacific. And he goes on to talk about that. He uses a special camera and a special uh, technological device that picks up on a kind of light that the normal eye can't usually see. To me, that's the kind of context you were just talking about, Grant, where if I didn't know that there was a special technology being used, those pictures wouldn't make sense to me. I mean, I would think they were beautiful. But now I have a sense of, oh, this is the South Pacific and he's and this is bioluminescence. But did the pictures give you hidden luminescence? Because I'd be worried about if it's hidden, how am I going to see it? Um, you know, I, some of that may have been um, uh, in, in the way that I excerpt, excerpted this because what he, what he or she was saying that it was a, a layer of luminescence that's, Hidden to the naked eye, um, that that's only perceptible using this particular lens or technology. I think it's closer, isn't it? But but
0: it's also an awful lot simpler because yeah. we haven't got any of those kind of self defeating words in there, you know, light, dark, and and what have you, and and it seems much more straightforward.
1: Here's one I'd like to know what you think. Um, some of the grammar is a, is a little bit off, but but I even so, I think it gets. A little closer. Um, the the And I can imagine what it would be like in the hands of a different photographer. Um, the process of memory loss due to the visual language generated in response to diseases such as Alzheimer's and dementias were the starting point to develop this project. My grandfather, Max, suffers from dementia and blah, 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 blah. So to me, the writing isn't necessarily fantastic from from a, um, an edit, a word editor's point of view but it's very clear to me what's going on here. So it gives you that sort of that insight that a
0: photographer needs to a story, doesn't it? You know, if the photographer is connected to the story, hopefully we can get a connection to the images.
1: So I guess one of the things we're talking about here is describing your work to somebody that you, a stranger that you sit next to in a bar. You know, you're you're a beer or two in, you probably shouldn't be talking about blurring the lines between recognition and regret You should be saying, you know, yeah, I go out and I shoot cows because I'm looking for X, Y and Z. Yeah.
0: And I think, you know, it goes back to that, again, with something we've spoken about a lot, which is we spoke about audience. So the audience is really important. You know, who's it being written for? Is it being written for other academics, as you were saying, or is it being written for people to actually understand and engage with the work? And I think that's where the disconnect has has occurred, because for anybody to say, I don't want everybody to understand my work, I find rather strange.
1: I mean, I guess, you know, and I guess as far as giving people some advice on what not to do, if if you're a if you're um, in a photography class, you're a photography student um, and you start seeing lots of these words um, pop up, blurring the lines you know, whatever it is, or in the boundaries, don't use those. Find another way to say it. Use a thesaurus, talk it out with a friend and come to some Understanding of what of what your friend understands your work to be, and how how you can help him or her understand it, and use those words. So, what do you think makes a good mission a good mission
0: statement, a good artist statement?
1: You're going to hear this a lot from me as we um, have these conversations, and I think we heard it a little bit the last time. For me, shorter is better, tighter is better, more clear is better. You know, I say that in part because again, have some empathy for your audience. If you understand that there might be a hundred submissions and your judges are going to be looking at a hundred statements, how much time do they have? You know, by the time that they get to the 85th statement, they're going to be tired. Keep it short for them and keep it super clear. So, so number one is length, clarity for sure. And well, let me you know what I'd like to do, um, if you don't mind, I I spoke with a woman named Stella Kramer, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning photo editor. She judges a lot of stuff. And I just asked her, you know, for some of her thoughts just so it wouldn't just be the two of us. And she says, here's what drives me nuts. The use of extraneous and convoluted art speak and quotes that really doesn't mean anything. I've read statements recently that use words I had to look up and I'm pretty damned educated uh, or seem like they were generated by a computer. Number two, telling me who your influences are. I don't care. Number three, telling me where you went to school. I don't care. Um, what I like, she says, are to the point statements where the photographer obviously knows why they took the photos and what the meaning is to them. It's,
0: <laughs> it reminds me how often I say to students, they'll say something to me and I'll say, I don't care. And they're like, what? I'm like, I don't care. It's not relevant. You've got to try and identify that relevance. And I think one of the interesting things at the beginning is you said that, and I think what Stella's saying, is identify your audience. But I don't think enough photographers spend time identifying their audience. And I, I think you had, you spoke to some other people as well, didn't you? I think you've, you've been um, hitting the, uh, the glitterati of the uh, US photo scene
1: yeah, well, you know, I like to um, get some other, you know, get some other opinions. I, I, I spoke with Elizabeth Avedon, who um, is a, a, an amazing photography book and exhibition designer. She's a curator and a writer and super smart and frequent judge. And she said, actually, I don't have any do's or don'ts about artist statements. I usually take them as they are presented, long, short, brief, wordy. Sometimes they will help explain the work, but I'm old school and still feel like they shouldn't have to. I do, however, this is parenthetical, um, have a huge issue with photographers not paying attention to the actual images they enter. So many great photographers enter the dullest, dreariest, sometimes awful images, and either they don't know or they don't care. Um, And so I thought that was interesting, too, her saying, make sure that you're actually sending your best work. Yeah, which actually,
0: I don't think she is actually kind of going against what we're saying there, because actually, what we're saying is make sure you send your best work in your writing as well. That's as right. well as the images, and and don't think that the writing's going to make up for bad images. That's right. So I, um, I'm gonna, I'm going to call
1: uh, Elizabeth on our side for that one. I think. Okay, good. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, except that she was saying like wordy, short. I don't care. Um anyway, um I spoke with Dana Hoey, who is just um an amazing person, uh, an old friend and a very smart photographer. She's the former associate professor of art at Columbia uh University and, and more recently the inter- interim co-chair of photography program at BARD, which is a very visually oriented college in, in in New York. She gave me a lot, some of which I'm not gonna read here. Um She says, use jargon if you are a jargon lover, but don't just smear it around willy nilly because you feel obligated. I can tell. Try to avoid using the word passion. It makes me feel jaded and I have to pedal back from that toward objectivity. But keep being passionate, you sweetie. Demonstrate curiosity. You usually are joining a group of some sort, and your curiosity is what makes you a good member of the group and not a navel gazing pain in the ass.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm starting. I'm loving the sound of her, but I'm also starting to feel that within academy, we need to to kind of start um, sort of getting together and forming a movement um, yeah. against this stuff. I mean, maybe, maybe what we're talking about here is a reaction against years and years of this kind of thing and people going enough already. I think it's great. And thanks very much for 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 bringing those voices to the conversation because you're absolutely right. Uh, just just two men um, shooting the breeze and, and kind of agreeing with each other is of no use to anybody. But I think also what's quite interesting is the, the quotes I gave you there from uh, Bill J. were 20, 30 years old. So. You know, this isn't something here that we're talking about, which is just of the moment. This is something that has been um, going along for some time. Again, I'm starting to feel, and as our conversation, because I don't think these are going to be separate conversations, I'm I'm getting the feeling it's all going to turn into one year-long mega conversation. But there does seem to be, um, once again, a slight UK-US Uh, kind of uh, difference. Obviously, in the US, particularly within teaching, there's a very strong and long history of teaching photography. Um, In the UK, it's very different in that right through until the early 90s, it was very, very difficult to get a degree in photography. Most photographers currently working in their 40s and 50s now in the UK did what was called a higher national diploma. And to get that, photography was seen as a um, as a job, as a profession. You would do photography alongside bricklaying and hairdressing and that kind of stuff. So it's only really been in the last 20-odd-ish years that photography has entered the university world and in doing so has had to kind of embrace As I say, that kind of media studies and theoretical and academic and academia. And I think that's had a real impact on UK photography because I see a huge amount of it. So it would be interesting how many of the, excuse me, how many of the um, uh, statements you're seeing are from US photographers and how many of them for UK or, or European or globally?
1: Um, from what I remember, uh, you know, in going through the, you know, those 200, uh, artist statements I was talking about, the, the photographer's name was taken away. So, you know, just to allow more fair judging, but the country in which they were shooting, um, was there. And so a lot of, a lot of what I read was from England and, and Europe, um, I gave I gave some of the European photographer writers a pass because, you know some of the English and grammar, you know it's not it's not their first language. Um, but no 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 such pass for uh, yanks and uh, and Brits. Um, so, it's in,
0: so it's interesting then that what what you're saying there is kind of backing up um what I'm saying, the the way in which photography has traditionally been taught. Um, over the last couple of decades here has resulted in this kind of approach. And it ties in with the idea when I was saying to you previously that I see a lot of work that looks the same. I feel that a lot of it looks the same for this reason.
1: You know, hearing you say that reminds me of something else. A huge percentage of the portfolios and projects that I was looking at tackled the subject of identity sexual identity, racial identity, uh, or or uh, other kinds of identity. So I think that's a really noble thing to explore and to think about, um, especially now, it's very current. But I also want to say this uh, possibly controversial thing. When you are in your low 20s, or when you are a new photographer, I personally would suggest doing that thinking on your own time for sure. But Looking outward, there's so much amazing, beautiful, heart-wrenching, glorious things to see out in that world. And then later, when you have more practice in the shooting and the thinking and the discerning, come back and look inward. You know, it's almost like there are very few memoirs written by people who are 23 years old that are um, considered works of art. There are a few, but, but not that many, you know. It's more someone who's lived a little bit, who can write a memoir and look back and reflect. And I think that sometimes these explorations of identity just feel very immature and more like diary pages than than memoirs. People talk about comfort zones,
0: don't they? Uh, and I think, you know, the, this kind of reliance on the writing over the photography and that art speak is, is in itself a comfort zone. You know, if I exist within that world of art speak, I'm not sort of stepping outside of it. Um, but I actually think it's really important that photographers increase the size of the comfort zone. So don't just step out of it, but just but grow it. And that takes time. But the only way you can grow it is by looking outwards, but not by, by constantly
1: re- referring and referencing yourself. Oh, I just think that that that's a nice shading to put on, on what I said. I think that's fantastic.
0: But I think also the this idea of the writing um, is so important and then connecting it to the rhetoric. And maybe that's something we should talk about, you know, in a, in a future conversation is that idea of, of taking it to rhetoric and the idea of speaking about your work. Because actually, what we I think we're probably going to end up discussing as we go forward is this changing practice for photographers, the, the required transferable skills that they need. You know, I have a lot of photographers who approach me um, to get into academia and they want to know how to get into academia. And quite a few of them have sent me uh, the letters and the, the the information that they've produced, and the writing is shocking, and the grammar is terrible. And I end up saying, "Okay, I'll rewrite it for you, and I'll just make this work, so that at least you can see what academia academia is going to expect from you." Or actually. Not just academia, but a job. You know, you and I have worked within companies and a lot of photographers have never done that.
1: And and I, I just like I feel in my bones that you will never be penalized for clarity. You know, there there was a time, um, you know, in the in the 90s, kind of pre Internet, when us editors who were writing headlines um, would be clever. You know, we would we would write headlines that were puns off of movies or sayings or whatever. And then when the Internet came and search became the way that people found stories, you know, one of my uh, mentors at Time Inc. said clear is the new clever. And I think that that's um, I think that that's right. And I think clarity over superfluous language in this case
0: Wind. I completely agree. I think that's that's a great place to um, to end it. And and I hope that this has been useful, actually, to photographers listening to it, because, as I said, you know, we're, we're not trying to criticize here, but we're just trying to bring a little bit of um, awareness of how that writing comes across and how it's perceived.
1: Well, I would be really interested. I know, you know, the last time we had this conversation, we got a lot of feedback on Twitter. Uh, I would like to invite listeners to uh, comment on Twitter and to and to let us know what you think about about what we're saying about writing and and where you agree and where you don't.
0: Yeah, I think that would be great. That's a great way to start a Twitter firestorm. Excellent. <laughs> Listen, Bill, as always, it's just a joy and we could keep chatting on and on. Who knows what we'll talk about um, on the next part of the conversation, but I guarantee it's going to connect in some way. So um, thanks very much, as always, for uh, for joining us. And, and here's to the next time. Thanks so much, Grant. I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast and the second part of the conversation. The third part will be ready for you to listen to in the first week of next month. In the meantime, take care.